Hello and welcome to our new video series where we are introducing our ITF partners to our members. Today it gives me pleasure to welcome Paul Foote, European and UK patent attorney at Withers and Rogers. Paul, welcome and uh, we look forward to hearing uh, from you today. Um, we'll talk about uh, various issues affecting international intellectual property protection um, but first uh, if you could just give us uh, uh, a brief insight into Withers and Rogers and the, and the services you provide. Thank you yeah so Withers and Rogers is a European um, firm of uh, patent and trademark attorneys so the main services that we provide are helping businesses uh, get patent protection for technical innovations uh, trademark protection for brands and logos and names of businesses or products and um, design protection for the look of, of products where there's, where there's usually where there's some sort of eye appeal. So we help with the application process to get those rights registered. We can also help with enforcement of those rights if you find that somebody might be treading on, the, on your toes of your protection and also if you're concerned about other people's protection and whether you're safe to go ahead with a particular new product or, or, or process. Very good and, and you say that these protections are UK protected, European protected and worldwide protected? Yes, yeah, so um, we can directly do work in Europe. Uh, so we have uh, offices in the UK, France and Germany. So despite Brexit, which we'll come on to, we can we can still offer the full gamut of, of services in Europe. But we've also got a network of attorneys that we use in pretty much any country in the world that can help us get protection if you need it in, say, the US or in China, because it's important to recognise that all of these rights are on a country by country basis. So if you if you just get a UK patent, somebody can can quite merrily make that product in the US and provided they don't do anything in the UK, the UK patent's not going to help you stop them doing that. So um, we always need to think about the international dimension on, on, on all of these new developments. Of course, yes. And obviously, the, the UK went through some dramatic changes on the 1st of January 2021 at the end of transition. And uh, I think most UK businesses have been impacted to, to a greater or lesser extent by Brexit. And I'm sure that the, uh, the IP, IP world has, uh, is, uh, it falls into that bracket as well. Um, obviously, there's, there's, there's different uh, strands of, of IP protection from patents, the trademarks and, and registered designs. And I'm sure that they've all been impacted in different ways. Ha, ha, what have been the implications of, of the end of transition and Brexit? Um, so, yes, you're right. They have been impacted. I would say that the, the least impact, in fact, there's really not been any significant impact is to patents. So although there is there's a UK intellectual property office that we deal with and there's a European patent office that we deal with. That European patent office is not an EU body. So the fact that we've left the EU doesn't impact that system at all. Um, we're still entitled to um, to directly file applications on behalf of our clients in the UK um, at that European patent office and the process is the same. Um, so what that, where that, what happens there is you've got a new 
technical innovation. Um, the, the, the European Patent Office is a sort of single body that we can submit that application to. And once they're happy that it meets the, the criteria of being new and inventive and so forth, um, they will say, yep, uh, we're going to grant this European patent, but then you have to choose. Do you want that to be brought into force in the UK, in Germany, in Sweden, France, wherever else? That system is un unchanged and won't change despite a Brexit. So that's simple. Gets more complicated with uh, trademarks and designs. So just just to finish on that point of patents, the U the European Patent Office are all are all European countries signed up to that particular office. Then? So um, every EU country is plus a few others besides, including uh, Turkey and Switzerland and the UK now that are not part of the EU. So it's it's a sort of supranational agreement that isn't an EU thing. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's. Fortunately for me, um, yeah, it's not affected because uh, my life would be immeasurably harder if, if it was an, e, an EU body. I might, I, might, I might be moving to Germany or somewhere right about now to carry on <laughs> having a job. So, yeah, so that that's simple. Um, yes, and but for for trademarks and for designs, the situation has changed. So I'm happy to go into to those in a bit more detail. Yes, yes, if we start with trademarks. So uh, trademarks are just, you know, background. They are for, for protecting, you know, brand names effectively or logos, what we call sort of badges of origin, th names that or logos or even things like sounds in theory that when somebody hears them or sees them are kind of connected with a particular business. So, um, you know, uh, you know, Jaguar for cars or, you know, uh, um, uh, any any number of brands like that. Um, so for more than 20 years, there has been an EU trademark that uh, has been administered centrally by the European Union from an office in Alicante in Spain. And um, as a UK business, you would have a choice of going to the UK intellectual property office and just getting a UK trademark registration or going to this EU trademark office and getting a registration that would cover the whole of the EU. And for a lot of businesses, that was quite attractive because you were getting cover in 28 countries and it was not 28, ti 28 times the cost of getting a UK trademark registration. So it was, uh, you know, uh, an attractive route to getting very broad coverage. Um, as of the 1st of January, um, this year, um, those EU trademark registrations no longer cover the UK. So if you've got um, an existing EU trademark registration, it ceases to cover the UK. But uh, as part of our withdrawal agreement, the UK government agreed that um, they would automatically copy over all of these registered EU trademark registrations to have an equivalent UK trademark registration. So um, as of um, uh, sort of midnight on uh, the, the 31st of December, all of these new UK trademark registrations automatically came into place that mirror 
all of the existing EU ones. So if you've got EU trademark registrations, you've now magically got a UK one as well that kind of fills the gap in that protection that you otherwise would have had. Um, so um, <laughs> that's good. Uh, it means that nobody has lost any form of trademark protection. What it does mean is when these rights have to be renewed on a, on a sort of 10 yearly basis, you, you have to pay a fee each every 10 years to keep keep them in force. You've now got to pay a fee to the EU trademarks office if you want to keep the, the 27 EU 27 registration live and separately pay a fee to um, the UK trademarks registry part of the um, UK intellectual property office to keep that UK registration alive. So ultimately the costs are going to be higher. Um, so um, that, that's the main, the main thing with existing ones where they've already been registered. Um, in future, uh, if you want to get protection for the UK and for the EU, then you've got to do that um, by going to both of those uh, offices separately. And getting two, that separate, two separate registrations. Yeah. Um, now we we as a business because we can do both of those you can do the the eu one from our office in germany for example we've got a package that enables people to do that you know with a streamlined process and you know uh, at a kind of special rate <laughs> i would say um and there's also a mechanism if you want protection in other countries as well outside of europe um it's called the, the madrid protocol where there's another way of streamlining that registration if you want protection in, say, the US or uh, other countries around the world that, that we can look at on a case by case basis, depending on where you want, want that protection. Um, the other thing to bear in mind is if this is, you know, unlikely to be the case, but if you've got a, an EU trademark application that is not yet registered and is still pending in the, at the EU trademarks um, office as of uh, the, the 1st of January, um, you don't get that automatically copied over to be a UK registration, but there's a nine month, month window to file a new UK trademark application and have it backdated to the date in which you filed your EU one. So um, sometimes dates are important. You know, if somebody else comes along and tries to register something similar in the meantime, um, it can be important to have an earlier date. So that's just a a mechanism to so you have a nine nine month window to register it with the uk um office yeah but it will be backdated to when yep. it was accepted at the when it, when, it, when it was filed at the european and would there be an additional cost to do that unfortunately yes so um you basically got to pay the fees as if it was a new uk trademark application from from you know uh without any earlier kind of application there so the main benefit is the earlier date is the back dating yeah I, I see yeah yeah and and just just before we we move on from trademarks you you say that the 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 existing trademarks that were already registered have been cloned i'm yeah. assuming the the existing renewal date has also been cloned as well so you get the same length yeah. of protection before renewal yeah that's right yeah um yeah so that that you know, there, there are other kind of wrinkles around it, but, you know, they're, they're mainly of interest to, 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 to practitioners like me. But that, that's the main 
upshot of, of trademarks. Um, so for designs, which is the other main area, um, there's been a similar regime of you can get a UK design registration for the look of a product or you can get an EU one. And there is a similar process where existing EU ones are copied over um, onto the UK register and will sit alongside. Um, the the different one difference is they're renewable every five years. Um, so um, again, you've got to, and you're going to have to pay separately for the UK one and the EU one if you want to keep them both. Um, and the similar regime for if you've got a one that's pending, you can re-register it, but you've got to pay fees for that. And then going forward, you've got to take a view. Do you want the UK and the EU? In which case you've got to go to register those both at the respective offices. Um, and, you know, again, we, you know, we can we can sort of handle that in a streamlined process or uh, there's another kind of international process um, that's called the Hague Agreement that enables UK, um, the EU and other countries like the US or Canada or um, wherever else to be kind of done with a single application process as well that depending on where coverage is required. Um, we can look at whether that's an applicable kind of process for, for doing that. Um, is that separate to the European or in addition? So what you do there is you file a single application and you designate certain countries. So you could choose, OK, for this one, I want UK, EU. Um, I did one recently that additionally had the US and Canada and um, provided everything goes through smoothly. Um, you don't need to deal with the EU uh, office or the US office or the Canadian office or the UK one for that matter. You just get a notification that, yep, they've been registered and it's all done. If if there's a wrinkle with, with something, uh, say there's a similar design in the US, um, we'll get notified of that and then we might need to appoint a local US attorney to deal with that. But, you know, normally when, you know, we kind of know what what you need to do and, you know, nine times out of ten, it shouldn't be an issue. Um, and you get that registration through fairly painlessly. The downside is it can take six months to a year to get that registered. So if you want something quickly in the UK and the EU, the quickest way to do that is to file directly in those two, you know, the UK registry could take a matter of days or weeks to register and the the EU registry will take again normally a matter of days or weeks to register them so if you want a quick registration that, that's you're the, worried that's that's the route to take I see I see and then you could add add the other protection on at a later date um you can within a sort of six month period but it's most cost effective to do it up front um I would say so it's better better to plan ahead and try and do it all in one go um, the other thing with designs to say is as well as these registrations of designs there is um, an automatic right you get by just creating a new design it's a bit like copyright if you were to paint a painting or to write a book you automatically get copyright protection for designs you automatically get what's called unregistered design rights um, and <laughs> This, this is this is 
quite complicated, but there's two versions of that. There's UK unregistered design right, which normally lasts for, for 10 years. And there's been an EU unregistered design right, which lasts for three years. And the, the, the way you qualify for those is slightly different and the way they work is slightly different. Um, so and um, in leaving the EU, we've left that option to get the automatic three year protection for, for under this EU design right. But the UK government has basically copied over the sort of equivalent of that. So if you generate a new design for a for a, ultimately for a sort of 3D product or something like that, um, you will you will get the UK unregistered design right for 10 years and you would also get the kind of equivalent of this EU unregistered design right for three years and it covers slightly more stuff. It covers 2D designs which the UK unregistered design right doesn't do. Um, so you know I would always advise that if you've got an important design don't rely on unregistered rights get it registered mm. but if you don't uh, then all is not lost and we can look at whether if somebody copies your design that's an option to there look is still at. an element of protection at that there point. is still an element of protection yeah yeah so with uh with the uh, benefit of cut and paste uh i think to summarize that 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 part of the uh the 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 conversation the the protection is still there um it, there's a little bit more work now that you have to register both in the uk and the europe which inevitably leads to um uh, an increase in costs as well so firms have to be aware of that um but 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 withers and rogers are well placed to deal with with both aspects of of those those registrations that's right when it comes to infringements, have there been many changes or things that firms should be aware of um, when actually uh, applying uh, uh, to, for a patent infringement? Um, so for, for patents, really nothing has changed because again, take a scenario where um, you've got a you've got you've got yourself this European patent and you brought it into force in say the UK France and Germany they're the three most popular places that people tend to get the protection because they're the biggest economies in Europe and you detect an infringement in Germany for the sake of sake of argument then to enforce your patent you've got to go to the German courts and um, go through the process in the German courts um, nothing has changed really um, as far as that's concerned. Um, where it will change is with, again with trademarks and designs if the infringement is in the EU um, you've got to have the EU right in the first place and then you've got to go to an EU court to, to, to take that action whereas if the infringement is in the UK then you've got to have the UK right in place to, to enforce the UK trademark or the UK design and then the action has to be taken in the UK courts um, and similarly if you wanted to sort of invalidate show that uh, a trademark isn't valid or a design isn't valid then you've got to you know you've got to do that through um, the you know the relevant EU courts or, or UK court if um, if it's a UK right. Um, for trademarks there are some issues around usage so if you didn't if you don't use a trademark for five years it becomes susceptible to being cancelled off the register because it's not being used that the, the tape you know 
around the world, the views taken that you shouldn't have registrations cluttering up um, the registers if they're not actually actively being used. So, um, for if you've got an EU registration and your usage has only been in the UK, then um, that and that would have been enough, obviously, up until the end of the 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 transition period now you've got to go forward and, and think about okay well if i want to keep my eu registration then i need to be doing some active usage of that brand that name in the eu otherwise it could get taken off the register and other people could grab it that that makes sense and and when you say not being used is it is it the business's responsibility to prove that it is being used or or is the default position that it will drop off after five years so it will sit there until somebody say wants to register the same mark for a similar range of goods or services and then what they might do is apply to um, the trademark registry to have it cancelled because it's not being used um, and then the onus is on the owner of the, the registration to say well actually here's my german distributor that's been using this trademark to sell my goods into in germany you know here's evidence of sales etc 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 that show that it has actually been used and the mark shouldn't be cancelled um so that's kind of the process so it, it will it will it will stay there you can keep paying the fees until somebody else becomes interested in wanting to, to have it basically interested in that name yes yeah yeah well, those, but there's been some very valid points uh, you've you've made this morning, Paul, and I'm sure uh, people watching this will find it uh, uh, interesting and and may need to uh, uh, may may wish to find out more. Um, so obviously, Paul's Paul's available to uh, to have those consultations on a one-to-one -one basis, and uh, the links will be provided on our website if you do want to get in touch with Paul. Yep, we're always happy to have a kind of free initial chat to understand what the issues are and um, see if there's any way that we can help. Which I'm sure uh, hopefully many people will take up and uh, make sure that their 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 wonderful ideas are protected, <laughs> appropriately Indeed. protected in whatever territory they wish to sell it. So Paul, it remains for me to just thank you very much for your, your time and your input on this uh, on this conversation. And uh, as I say, any anyone that wants to take that further with Paul or his colleagues, uh, please, please use the uh, the information that's provided. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks very much.